Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you may be seated, and as you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we confess, Lord, uh, that we don't always obey uh, what you have written here. So we want to be not just hearers of the word this morning, Lord, we want to be doers of the word. And in doing the word, we profess our true belief. So help us. We need you. Come by your spirit. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you, you don't know me. I'm Jake. I'm part of the team. Welcome. It's so good to be with you uh, this morning. I want to begin with a simple premise, and that's this. Christians in this world, in this life, in this age, are by definition strangers and aliens, foreigners. We are people who live and move and have their being in a foreign and strange land. Though we were born on this world, have lived all our lives in this world, we are no longer of this world. And Jesus famously prays for his disciples before the Father, saying this. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, Jesus says, just as I am not of the world. And then he says again, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If what Jesus is saying is true, Christians, followers of Jesus, uniquely bear the burden of having to navigate two different worlds. Unique to Christians, this is true. We are these new people living in this outpost as ambassadors living, as Paul will say later in this very letter, in a world that is passing away. Consider this for a moment. When your neighbor who does not know Jesus wakes up in the morning, they do not consider how their spiritual citizenship determines what they will say that day, or the investments they'll make that day, or the shows they'll watch that evening. For them... There is this world and this world alone, but it is not so for the Christian. See, we are in the world and at the same time members of this otherworldly outpost called the church. And what Paul wants us to see this morning, what we need to see this morning is that our relationship to the church and to the world is, is different, is not the same. Look on the screen with me. Three points that we're going to work through. We're going to learn this morning how the Christian is to relate first to the world, second to the church or, or other Christians, 
And then thirdly and finally, I want us to pull back and get sort of a big picture vision of Christian community, as it were. We're going to see what I'm calling big walls and big welcome. So the world, the church, and then big walls, big welcome. I'll explain when we get there. First thing, how should a follower of Jesus relate to the world? Our text this morning, if you remember from last week, which was a lot of fun, right? If you weren't here, surprise, it was kind of edgy. Uh, Our text this morning, continuing from last week, is looking at this theme of how sin has disastrous effects in a community way out of proportion to its size. It does way more damage than it looks. And we saw that Paul instructed the church to remove this sexually immoral man from their midst and to send him back to the domain of darkness. I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, it will sort of make sense, hopefully make sense. But, but today, what we're learning is that this is not the first time that Paul has instructed the Corinthian church on these matters. No, we read in verse 9, and it begins, we heard it read, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. It seems clear enough. Seems pretty straightforward. Except, as we all know, uh, it's not. See, upon receiving this first letter with this instruction, it is possible, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that some members of the church in Corinth began to withdraw to remove themselves from the world, to create for themselves what we could call a little Christian ghetto. And here, I think we should pause. Uh, The impulse to separate ourselves from the world is one found throughout the history of the church. And it's an impulse that is alive and well today. And you know this. You know this. You believe this. Do you want to flee liberal California? Well, you go to, you know, Texas, right? Not just, just not Austin, but Texas. Do you want to flee liberal BC? Where do you go? Everybody knows. Cody's homeland, Alberta. You go to Alberta, just not certain parts of Calgary. Do you want to flee the liberal West End? Where do you go? I can tell you. You don't have to even leave the city. Go to the southwest corner of Vancouver, and there you'll find a neighborhood that agrees with your conservative sensibilities. Like I said, this salvation by separation is not new. Christians have been running from the world to deserts, caves, and convents for centuries. And the question is, what should we think about that? Well, Paul continues. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now listen, look at verse 10. It's on the screen. Read it with me. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. What does he say? Since then you would need to go out of this world. So here's what Paul is saying. Sin, evil, is no respecter of provincial or state boundaries. It's not like you get to the Alberta border and it's like, sin's like, ah, I can't go there. Can't go there anymore. Or you get to the border of Texas and it's like, sin's trying to get in, but he he can't get in. No. 
If you want to get away from these things, you'll have to go much further than Alberta. Even if you counted yourself, this is what Paul's saying, even if you counted yourself amongst the billionaires able to book passage off of this world and onto the moon, you would soon find that your own sin traveled with you. Paul's not saying that you should just go to the strip club because, well, there's no getting away from it, so we should just give in to it. No, he's not saying that. Without doing away with the Christian's need for wisdom, he's simply saying, as you go about your everyday life, these are the people that you will do business with. These are the people that you'll ride on the bus with. These are the people that you'll become neighbors to, and you should not stand over them in judgment. Look at verse 12. We heard in verse 12, Paul asked this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And then in verse 13, he gives his reason why judging outsiders is not his job, because he says, God judges those outside. See, next week we'll see this, and Daniel will show us this next week, that at Jesus' return, Paul will say that the saints will judge the world, will, will sit with Jesus in judgment. But today is not that day. Today, our posture to the world is not one of judgment, but of evangelism of seeking to win people to Christ. Now hear me again. This does not mean that we as a church are indifferent to the evil of the world, uh, to sexual immorality, to the greed that dehumanizes people, to the evil words spoken or the evil deed done. Paul's rhetorical question, for what have I to do with judging outsiders, it is not meant for us to throw up our hands and say, well, who cares? It's not in the church, so, so who cares? That's not the response Paul's looking for, no. One commentator said this, and I love it. Disciples of Jesus are not to be amorphous, undiscerning blobs who never under any circumstances whatsoever hold any opinions about right and wrong. That's not the point. We are to weep as Paul says, for outsiders, knowing that what they do and what they love is, in fact, wrong. But compelled by this love, we are to go into the world, not run away from the world, but go into the world that some may be saved. And, and I know this morning that this idea of how we interact with the world is, is a very live scenario for, for many of you. Why? Because you live in this world. You have relationships with people in this world. We're not talking about some abstract thing. We're talking about your brother. We're talking about your sister, your husband, your wife, your best friend, the people you work with. These are all people who fit into Paul's categories of, of the sexually immoral, maybe. Or they worship other gods. Or they're cheats and swindlers. And right now, this morning, you're not sure how to relate to them, how to be in relationship with them. See, my impulse, and maybe it's yours, and I'll just be honest, is to begin with the sin, to begin with the thing that's wrong, to, to challenge their behavior. But if what Paul is saying is true in this text, to judge the sin of the outsider is to judge them according to the standards of a community that they don't belong to. 
to judge them according to standards that don't apply to them. If you were to come up to me this morning and said, Jake, you're not acting like a Japanese person should, I would tell you, brother, sister, I'm not Japanese. And you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Right? Right? Same thing. When we attack the sin, the, the behavior, to people who don't know Jesus, we're applying standards onto them of a community that they're not a part of, right? If I was to go up to you and said, you know, listen, this is not how members of this gym behave, and you're like, I don't have a membership at this gym. What are you, why are you talking to me on the street? It's the same sort of awkward imposition. See, how should Christians relate to the world? Not in judgment. See, Paul says outsiders are already under the judgment of God. What more judgment do we have to add? No. In love, we seek to win outsiders to Christ. But we have to turn now. And the relationship, however, is different within the church. Question number two. How should Christians relate to other Christians in the church? How should the body be the body? After clarifying that he's not advocating that they should be separated from this world, Paul does add, nonetheless, church, there are people I do want you to be separate from. Verse 11, look there with me. He writes, but now, in this letter, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. It's, it's a stark contrast, isn't it? Are they an outsider? Well, Paul says, what have you to do with, with judging them? But if they call themselves brother or sister in Christ, do not even eat with such a one. And while the contrast is stark, it should not be surprising. We saw last week the danger of letting unrepentant sin fester, grow in a community. What I think should surprise us, however, is our tendency, and I was struck by this this week, to do the reverse of what Paul is arguing for in this text. See, one commentator writes that when it comes to, obey, comes to obeying Paul's instructions here, we, and this is Andrew Wilson, he says this, we instinctively do the opposite, condemning the world for its ungodly ways while giving our own sin a free pass. I'll read it again. We instinctively do the opposite, condemning the world for its ungodly ways while giving our own sin a free pass. And one of the reasons I think we do this is because we believe, do we not, that the greater danger to the church is outside the church and not inside the church. Outside the church and not inside the church. Let me ask, what brings more disrepute, dishonor to Jesus? Is it on one hand a world that rejects, ignores, persecutes Jesus? Or on the other hand, is it a church which bears his name that looks nothing like him? that tolerates, even celebrates all that is evil. So how does the church relate to the church? The first point is clear, yet uncomfortable. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 
So hear me, Christ City. And I'll qualify this and explain this. But the church is to be this place of mutual judging. And as soon as you hear that, I feel it. And you say, hold on. Did Jesus not say, Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I'll say, don't worry, remember back to April 19th, 2020. You guys remember that time when we were together? Right? Come on. April 19th, 2020, we looked at this passage, and we would have seen then that Jesus is talking about here judging unfairly. What Matthew 7 is talking about is those who are judgmental. He's talking about having a critical spirit. He's talking about all those who are unfairly nitpicking other people's stuff while remaining ignorant of their own tremendous shortcomings. See, reading 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 7 together, it means that we learn to lament two things. Two things. We lament on one hand when the church of Jesus, which ought to be this place of love and welcome, instead becomes the most critical place. And we lament, on the other hand, that when the church of Jesus, which ought to be this place of love and welcome, fails to love one another in graciously calling out sin. See, these two things are not opposed to each other, against each other. There is a world of difference between being the critical church and the church of loving, mutual exhortation. That's the first thing. The church is to be the place of mutual judging. The second thing is this. The church is not to associate with the unrepentant brother or sister. Consider once more the the test scenario that Paul's given for us here. The case of the man who has his own mom or his stepmom as his lover. This man the church has delivered over to Satan with the hope that he will come to his senses and repent. But very likely, if the repentance happens at all, you know this, it will not happen overnight, right? It won't happen overnight. In the meantime, between the casting out and the man coming back, Lord willing, in the meantime, how is the church supposed to relate to this man? Well, twice in our passage, we read this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Again, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of, and Paul lists a bunch of sins. If the imagery Paul gave before was leaven infecting a whole lump of dough and working its way through, the word for association also is intended to give us another image. And this time it's the image of two liquids mixing together so that they're indistinguishable from each other. I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, maybe it was just me, but you'd go to the movie theater and you'd go and there'd be like a row of pop and you'd get some of this and 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 it was disgusting, right? And you called it swamp water. Anybody else? It's just me. Thank you. Yes. We're not embarrassed to say it. We're swamp water people, right? Or you go to like the 7-Eleven and get like the, the Slurpees with like the seven different flavors. Yes. It's good, it's good that way. You need, you need the Coke and a little reprieve with the Sprite. Anyways, I digress. 
But that's, that's, that's the image that Paul's talking about here, this swamp water image. You've mixed these liquids together, and, and you can't tell what's what. You can't tell the Coke from the Sprite, from the Mountain Dew, from, from the other stuff. It's indistinguishable. That's the, that's the image that we should have in our minds. Paul says that your relationship then to this person needs to change, needs to be distinct. In other words, you know, John Calvin, the old reformer, commentator, said this this week, if you're removing them from the Lord's table, why are they still sitting at your table? I thought that was profound. See, until the person repents, unlike your conversations with the outsider, your main focus in these conversations, it actually is the sin. It, it, it is, it is the, the, the disobedience. So there's no watching the game together. There, there's no sweeping things under the rug so you can have a pleasant family dinner. There's no casual banter over meaningless things. In instances where the sin is unrepentant, Christians are to exercise loving judgment over one another by no longer associating with the individual until they repent. See, in the event of the unrepentant sin in a brother or a sister, this is how the church is to relate to the church. Now let me pause. See, if you're new or visiting, what we're talking about is kind of insider stuff, like deep internal church stuff. It's really important. God's word has a lot to say about it, but, but it sounds maybe obscure or unrelatable to you. I want us to end this morning by, by, by pulling back a bit by zooming out, as it were, and getting a bigger vision of the Christian church to situate these two things that we've talked about so far. And to do that, I want us to look at the end of our text. See, if you go to the end of our text, maybe you notice this. In verse 12, sorry, verse 13, you see a phrase in quotation marks. Maybe your Bible has that. Verse 12 and 13 says this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Now, now listen, Christ City. Listen. Purge the evil person from among you. Now that passage, that verse, that saying has quotations mark in it, has quotation marks in it in your Bible for a reason. It's because Paul is quoting a phrase that shows up in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy nine times. You can find it elsewhere in the Old Testament, but in Deuteronomy, you find this refrain, purge the evil person from your midst. Purge the evil person from your midst. Purge the evil person from your midst. Nine times we find in that Old Testament book. See, to understand God's vision for the church today, we are helped by going back to see God's vision for Israel. And as we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, and, and you can go there if you'd like, we find a community much like the early church in need of formation, in need of shaping. A community that we could say has both big walls and a big welcome. Big walls and a big welcome. Well, what do I mean by that? As the verse that Paul cites in 1 Corinthians 5 suggests, Israel, maybe you know this, as the people of God, had a certain standard that they were to live up to standards for belonging. And they were for a reason. In order to protect themselves from becoming like the surrounding nations, in order to preserve their witness, they had to be distinct from the surrounding nations. And so God said through Moses, says, Here, here's how you should live. 
Here's the way you should function as a community. And when these things don't happen, when you don't act like my covenant people, nine times we read, purge the evil person from among you. So for example, we read this in Deuteronomy 13. The false prophet leading you away from Yahweh, leading you away from God's covenant people, purge the evil from your midst. Again, the person who is bowing down to the sun or the moon or to any false god, purge the evil from your midst. The son who rebels against his family, who is a drunkard, who refuses to be corrected, purge the evil from your midst. And on and on and on it goes. And just so we're clear, in Deuteronomy, purging the evil from your midst is not like a, a juice cleanse or like a hard word. Like they would take these people outside of the camp and they would stone them. They would kill them. This is a community we can safely say with big walls, high standards of belonging. And what we expect when we come to communities with big walls or high standards is what? A small welcome, right? Big walled communities, we believe, are secretive, they are withdrawn, they are snobbish and elitist. But wonder of wonders, that is not what we find in Deuteronomy. Instead, in Deuteronomy, among this big wall community, we find big, big, big welcome. In fact, a welcome that was foreign and strange and weird in the ancient world. Instead, in Deuteronomy, we discover, Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19, that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves a sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So, as God's people, we should love the sojourner, the stranger, the person who's not from here. Therefore, for you, we're sojourners in the land of Egypt. We keep on reading in Deuteronomy. We discover that the Sabbath rest is not just for Israel. It's for the stranger as well. That Israel has a responsibility to feed the alien. A responsibility to treat the sojourner with justice. To teach all people, not just fellow Israelites, to love and fear Yahweh. It is a community that is supposed to have big walls and at the same time a big, big welcome. And if you follow the history of the Bible, if you turn these pages to the right and you read what's on them, you learn that tragically it had neither big walls nor a big welcome. Israel became like the nations. And in becoming like the nations, they treated the stranger and the foreigner and the sojourner like the nations did, which if you know ancient history was not particularly nice. It makes you wonder if now as we come to 1 Corinthians, if the objection ever came up, seeing Paul's reference to Deuteronomy, someone said this, Paul, this has already been tried before. It doesn't work. We humans know how to build two types of communities. We know how to build communities with big walls, right? This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is, our, this is us. Or big welcome. Who cares what we believe? Just come on in. Be with us. We're open. No walls here. Small walls. Big welcome. But we don't know how to do both. How do we become a community with big walls and a big welcome? The answer, you should not be surprised if you've been with us for a while, 
is Jesus. Just as the answer right now in kids' church is Jesus, the answer up here in big church is Jesus. Every one of us deserves to be like those taken from the camp. Every one of us deserves the same fate of being removed from the city, taken outside and stoned. The Bible says we deserve to die for our sin. On our own, we are unable to live up to the Deuteronomy standard or any standard we find in the Bible. And so one goes in our place. There is one who goes outside the city, outside the camp, not to be stoned, but to be crucified on our behalf. See, as Jesus climbs on the cross for my evil, as Jesus gives his last breath for my injustice, the sin, the evil is purged from our midst. Once defiled, now holy. Once dead, now alive with Christ. Once unable to obey our Father, live in his ways, now by the Holy Spirit, able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus as his church. And when we fall, we repent again. And we trust that Jesus has once and for all been taken outside the city on our behalf. See, Jesus perfectly, as he does, he perfectly summarizes what it means for us to be a big wall, big welcome community in the Sermon on the Mount. Early in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says this. It's a passage that you might be familiar with. Jesus says, he says, you disciples are the salt of the earth, which means that we're distinct. Big walls. You're the salt of the earth. You're distinct. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he says, you are the light of the world. We're missional. We're open. Big welcome. Big wall, big welcome. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Don't run away. Don't go to Alberta or Texas. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We can think of it like this, and we can put this on the screen behind me. In the top left corner, on the y-axis here, we have our, our holiness, our distinctiveness. On the bottom, it's, it's low, it's non-existent, it's not there. On the x-axis here, we have our, our missionalness or our welcomeness, as, as it were. And it, from the left again, not there to the right, it, it's there, it's, it, it's loud. So on the bottom left, no holiness, no missional impulse. You have a dead social club, right? We, we've been to these places before. Nobody wants to go there ever again. On the top left, salt but no life distinctive but closed off, we have these, these holy groups, these holy huddles, right? These people who are known for their distinctive way of living, maybe even dressing differently, but no one's welcome into those places, right? They're, they're not for outsiders. They're not for other people. On the bottom right, we have light but no salt. So this is, come on in. You're welcome here. You know, we kind of believe whatever you believe. Come on in. It's light it's saying, we're here, but no salt. Nothing to offer. Nothing to give. 
In the top right corner, this is where Jesus' church lives. High holiness, high distinctiveness, big walls. But also you'll notice, big welcome. High missional impulse. Open to the sojourner, the stranger, the alien, the outsider. See, why does it matter how we live? And we can leave this up. This will also be on our website if you want to reference it this week. Why does it matter how we live? Why does it matter that Jesus transforms us and purifies us and changes us? It matters because the church that is not transformed has no big welcome to extend to the lost, to the stranger, to the sojourner, to the sinner and to the sufferer. Christ City, it is not about you. And it's not about me this morning. Your obedience to follow Jesus, for example, with what he says about sex and sexuality, is not about you. You not being a greedy person is not about you. Choosing not to worship the God of money or power, it's not about you. Church, your holiness, your purity, the big walls is all about extending a meaningful, impactful, life-changing big welcome to others, to those who are not yet part of the church. It's an invitation for people to encounter the God who is totally not like us. An invitation for people to see without obstruction the person of Jesus. It's an invitation to come into the city of God because Jesus was, 2,000 years ago, led out of the city of Jerusalem to be crucified for us. It's not, it's not there. That's what we're about. That's where we're going. If you want to know, we can talk about it later. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I oscillate between the two. In my righteousness, I should say in my self-righteousness, I think, what have I to do with this world? I should just leave and retreat. And yet there are times when I think, well, what, what does it matter anyways? I just want people to, to know you. So I'll say what I need to say and do what I need to do. And Lord, today as a church, we confess that both of those are sin. We ask that you would help us. For those of us prone to high walls and small welcome, would you make us a people of big welcome? For those of us who are people of big welcome but are not distinct, have lost our saltiness, would you forgive us? Would you cause us to turn again to you? Jesus, we need you. This is your church, so we need you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake 
at ChristityChurch.ca.